Exciting episode of No Driving Gloves, where Derek, John, and Will will use over 75 years combined industry knowledge to bring you a bare-knuckled view on the collector car hobby. So let's get rolling. Now that we're a few episodes into this podcast, we're doing it a little bit different than everybody else. Instead of telling who we are and then starting, we started, and now we're going to tell you a little bit about each one of us, our background, why we do what we do, the enjoyment, kind of a little brief resume on each of us, and kind of the direction that we each think the podcast should go, why we're doing it, and then probably wrap up. We're going to tell you what the show schedule is because we've been banging out these episodes over the last couple of weeks to get you interested, get you addicted. It's that somebody tells me all the time, crack cocaine theory. We give you a little, we give you a little, and then you're wanting more. We'll go ahead. I'll start with myself. My name's John Viviani, 46 years old, I think. It's hard. I've got one of those stupid birthdays and never can remember how old I am. I've been doing restoration, involved in cars professionally, i.e. putting food on the table, getting a check, since about 1994, 93 era. Started off selling cars, ended up going to school for a modern automotive technology degree, worked in a gas station, worked in a tire shop for a few years, Learned about a program in Kansas for automotive restoration, which is really where I wanted to be at. So finished up the first degree, then went on and got a second degree at McPherson College in McPherson, Kansas. Uh, That's actually where I met Will. Yep, yep. And graduated from there in 2000. I'd worked for a shop named Stellar Auto Restorations in Wyndham, Kansas, while I was in college. So that kind of got me some real-world experience. Taught me a lot about restoration. Tim Bowers was a heck of a boss, I want to say. Abandoned him immediately after I graduated and moved to Northern Virginia and worked for a little place called White Post Restorations. Somehow fell into a niche of restoring low-production specialty automobiles. At McPherson, one of our projects was a Maxwell Q2, which it was one of three ever made and like the last one left in existence. A lot of machining, a lot of handwork, learning stuff with that. When I got to White Post, it was kind of rare car after rare car. Twin Six Packer, 1917 Cloverleaf Roadster. Did a Cunningham C3 Continental Coupe, which was the most expensive car sold in 1952, formerly of the DuPont family, for a gentleman who had owned the car since 1972. That car went on to be shown at Pebble Beach, Amelia Island, Greenwich Concours, Meadowbrook. So it hit all the majors, and that was by 2004. At that point, I kind of thought, you know, I hit hit all my goals doing restoration. I uh, did it for one or two more years, then jumped shipped into museum conservation work. Went to a, work for a company just outside of Washington, D.C. The home office was technically six blocks behind the uh, Capitol building in Washington on Capitol Hill. We had a studio over in Maryland, and I was the foreman for the studio. Did all kinds of statue restoration, artifacts. The company I worked for was was in charge of all the artifacts that were brought up from the Titanic. And we did a lot of the preservation, restoration, stabilization. Anytime you see any of the official Titanic artifacts that are on display anywhere, they went through our facility. I, I handled some of them. I didn't handle all of them. 
that project started before I was there and kind of wound up or came to an end while I was under their employment. I kind of joke that for for the years that I was there, I put my lunch in this uh, in the refrigerator, and next to it was this uh, Tupperware little storage container. And it had a pair of shoes in it that were desalinating, which were a pair of shoes that were actually recovered from the Titanic. And the, de- the shelves next to my desk in the studio were full of and it. It's the coolest thing when you think back to preservation and the massive destruction that that shipwreck was, the loss of life. And there were these porcelain bedpans. There were a stack of about two dozen of them that were separated by little pieces of tissue paper. And the tissue paper was still perfectly preserved. You could still read the watermark of the white star lines in it. The cool stuff to do there. Uh, And part of that job also encompassed, I was a foreman on the uh, Saturn V rocket restoration that was done in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Obviously, we didn't make the rocket functional again, but there's three Saturn V rockets. I was there for the Huntsville portion of the jobs. Eh, Kind of an interesting experience learning a lot about the Saturn V. We'll probably touch on things and a lot of the details about that. And while I was there doing that procedure, that was living in D.C. and then spending a couple of weeks in Huntsville and going back to D.C. and then a couple of weeks in Huntsville. I drove down to a local car museum, Backwoods, Alabama, as I say, going, what what am I going to go see? I knew it was a big Lotus collection, and I wanted to see this Lotus collection. I was a Lotus collector. I owned three Lotus at the time among the 12 cars we had in the driveway. Not all of them ran. Friends called us Euro White Trash, I guess. But, you know, Lotus up on the blocks in the driveway, I guess, beat the old Camaro up on the blocks in the driveway. But drove down to see this Lotus collection. Turned out to be this 150-some-thousand square foot building. 186,000 square foot building, excuse me. And I said, you know, this might be a cool place, and maybe I want to get back to playing cars. So I sent them a resume, and after about six months of talking, I was moving to Birmingham, Alabama to take a job with the uh, Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum as their Lotus Restoration Technician. Worked that job now for over a decade. Sort of do all the car restoration. The museum's known for its collection of 1,600 motorcycles. Recently added 80,000 square feet to the facility for the museum, so it's now 225,000 square feet of motorcycles and about 100 cars, 54 of which are Lotus. And I still do some car restoration. I'm parts manager for the motorcycle and car restoration departments, and I manage uh, swap meets and other events that we have in the field in relation to historic automobile events. But that's kind of where it is. I've got my little bit of college to get some pieces of paper to help speed up my career. That's my professional life. I think I really started tinkering with cars, doing custom Hondas and custom lowrider pickups and engine swaps and car stereo. I ask a car stereo stuff as early as 88, 89. I think I've, I've had a pretty good run for the last, what is it, 30 years playing with cars. Uh, which one of you want to go next? Oh, I can jump in, John. Uh, This is Derek. So, yeah, I mean, how in the world did I get where I am? What am I doing? You know, you you guys probably listened to my little intro that was about a minute long. That glazed over a lot of things. (laughs) But I've I've been a car person since I was uh, a little kid, as I said, growing up, you know, 
toys uh, that were cars, uh, you know, a dad that uh, worked on cars for a living. He was a, a GM body man, you know, ran a lot of body shops for General Motors dealerships, had the restoration shop at home where he was doing restorations after, you know, after work hours and on the weekends. So I grew up, you know, restoring cars with him. Had the good fortune that part of his restoration career and, and part of what he did when I was a kid was to actually do a good amount of the maintenance work and restoration work for a large private collection um, in Owasso, Michigan, near where I grew up, which was actually known as the Mitchell Collection, which was the collection of uh, the Don Mitchell uh, family, Bill Mitchell, the son, um, not the Bill Mitchell of uh, General Motors design fame, uh, rather, uh, Bill Mitchell, the son of Don Mitchell, who founded things like uh, Mitchell Bentley Corporation and Ionia Car Company and a few other companies. And uh, they had a, a large collection of uh, vehicles that had some tie to the production that their companies did. Um, Ionia Car Company was famous for building the Woody station wagons um, for companies like uh, Buick and a, a few others. Uh, you know, Mitchell Bentley Corporation and, and some of their, I guess you'd call it subsidiaries, uh, were actually bodybuilders. They were known for building things such as uh, the Lincoln Continental Mark II bodies in Owasso, Michigan. And actually, they were uh, early a company in fiberglass development and or at least fiberglass production. They produced the 1958 to 1962 Corvette bodies. So, uh, you know, I had the chance to grow up in this fantastic private collection that was actually uh, operated somewhat like a, a museum, at least in the fact that they had an actual on-staff curator that was there every day, even though it was not open to the public every day. My dad, who essentially acted as the, the preservation technician for the vehicles, and I was the little kid that got to go in with him and, and run around the collection and, and sit in the cars and learn about the cars and talk to the, the curator and learn what he did with documenting all the cars and making sure the history was known. And... I think that's what kind of uh, led me to where I am today. It was it was an interesting childhood getting to do that, as well as be at home in the restoration shop at at the house where you know my dad was restoring anything from mid year Corvettes, you know, C two C three Corvettes to early nineteen hundreds automobiles to you know working on. A brand new car that somebody you know hit a deer with and they needed it fixed. So it was real a big cross, um, you know, range of vehicles that I had an early childhood with. But the funny thing is, my dad always told me, you know, you're you're not going to be just a, a body guy like I was. I want I want better for you, as all parents do. They want better for their children. So you know, I decided, okay, I'll go off to college and figure that out and. Originally, I had uh, decided I was going to be a chemistry major, and uh, with that chemistry degree, I was going to go into the uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI. I'd actually uh, met with the FBI and, and talked to them a little bit in the, the local uh, office that was in near the town I grew up in, in Michigan. 
kind of had a whole plan together of um, you know what my career was going to look like. Kind of last minute decided I couldn't see myself doing it, so I changed colleges and and went to uh, Central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. During that time, you know, you're, you're a kid, you're off at college. I was I was about an hour and 45 minutes from home, but my dad fortunately, you know, helped helped me out with the bills and things. You got to pay for college, you got to do that. Uh, allowed me to to come back home and and work in the restoration shop, and uh, you know, work on restorations with him. You know, while I was going to college, so I still kept that kind of working on cars uh, thing going on, along with, and I, I didn't mention, the cars that we personally own at the time that we were restoring. So, you know, keeping that kind of connection to the automotive world. And I stumbled across a class at Central Michigan University, or a program, an actual minor, entitled Museum Studies. And I thought, hmm, well, you know, it was always fun going to that Mitchell, the Mitchell collection. And I decided I'd look into Museum Studies and started in the museum studies program and then decided all right well i'll get a history degree and uh, got a few years into that at central michigan university and then decided to transfer to the detroit area to go to eastern michigan university where i finished up my degree um, actually in history and history of technology while i was there did some automotive restoration coursework and, and fabrication coursework at uh small uh, community college called Washington Awe Community College that had a, a restoration and fabrication program. So took classes there to keep myself in the automotive restoration world, um, seeing I'd moved farther away from home and, and the shop. And, uh, while I was there, I figured, uh, you know, I've got this museum studies background. I live 20 minutes from Henry Ford Museum in Greenfield Village. I need a real job. I'm going to go see if I can get my foot in the door in, in the museum world. So I went down there, and they actually happened the day I stopped by to be doing on, on-the-spot interviews for historic presenters in the museum. So I, wearing a pair of jeans and a shirt, it felt very uncomfortable, but they decided they could interview me right then, so I interviewed, and uh, uh, by the end of the day, got a call saying, we'd love to hire you um, for the presenter position. So I was excited. I got my foot in the door. And the first day on the job, I made sure to ask everybody, you know, I, I know Bob Casey's the curator because I've, I've watched it, you know, enough shows on TV on the History Channel he's been on. I know Bob Casey. I know who he is. But who takes care of the cars? And, and you know, a couple of the presenters said, well, you want to talk to, to that guy? And they pointed to a guy walking across the museum. And, you know, his name happened to be Malcolm Collum. So I just started literally bugging him and pestering him and talking cars with him. And about a year into my uh, you know, job as a historic presenter, an internship came open in the Model T garage, which takes care of all of the Model Ts in Greenfield Village, all the operational vehicles. I had the good fortune that I had bugged Malcolm enough that he offered me the internship at the Model T garage, and I got to spend a summer working on Model Ts and Model As, and and learning everything I could about uh, you know the Model Ts and Model As, and and how to maintain them, you know, rebuild the engines, rebuild the transmissions, whatever you got to do to keep these things running. And uh, at the end of my internship had the good fortune that Malcolm's assistant for the transportation collections in the conservation department, uh, I might not have mentioned Malcolm was the conservator at the time for the transportation collections. He was kind enough to come to me and, and basically say, hey, you know, I've got the opening. 
you know, if you like what you're doing, I think we can, we can, you know, basically get you into the position. 23 year old kid. I think I was at the time. Um, I was pretty excited. I was going to be working with the, you know, one of the greatest transportation collections in the museum world, you know, jumped right into that, uh, got to work on some really incredible projects while I was there. You know, everything from uh, the 1931 Bugatti Royale, you know, we went through, got that car up and running, had it at events, driving around. We maintained and operated uh, the famed 1906 Locomobile Old 16 that won the 1908 Vanderbilt Cup race. Everything to, you know, Mustang serial number one, the very first Mustang produced. Not only did we do transportation, I also got into um, the conservation of of clocks and horology. So worked on a lot of clocks, tower clocks, goofy things. Just really enjoyed it. Um, as John just talked about, you never know what you're going to work on. Um, you know, there's at one point we were doing a uh, getting the political exhibit ready with Liberty and Justice for All. And I wound up working on George Washington's camp chest. Um, you know, when you're sitting there doing the conservation on George Washington's camp chest from the Revolutionary War, it, it, it kind of makes you sit for a moment and really think about the opportunities you're having. And it was an incredible opportunity uh, while I worked there. You know, Malcolm eventually uh, um, you know, moved on and found a job as chief conservator at National Air and Space Museum. So I had the opportunity to work full time um, kind of in his position for another about four years after he left. And then I decided to move on as well and took the job as curator of the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum in Cleveland, Ohio and uh, oversaw the collections there as curator and essentially conservator. I did all of the maintenance preservation work on the vehicles. It's heavily a brass era and horseless carriage classic era collection because that's really when production of cars was done in Cleveland from about the 1890s into uh, the last uh, car being built in 1931 by a Cleveland-based company. Had a fantastic time there, getting cars running that hadn't been running in years, putting together exhibits on the history of you know the Cleveland automobile industry and and really the overall history of of transportation in in the automotive field from you know an early uh, pan one of the earliest Panhard Lavassers that are still in existence actually the oldest known purpose built and closed automobile in the world is there at the Crawford and all the way up to early 2000s Chrysler concept cars. Um, So really had a good time there, enjoyed that. And um, literally about uh, four months ago, made the move to Bowling Green, Kentucky. And uh, that's where I I record all of these podcasts that you guys get to listen to, um, along with John and Will um, down there in Alabama. And uh, I accepted the position as curator of the National Corvette Museum. Um, Corvettes uh, are have been part of my life for a while, as as you learned at the beginning of this with the Mitchell collection and what my dad has done over time. So it's it's not really out of the realm. But you know, my true passion in the automobile collecting hobby and and that is horseless carriage, brass era, and classic era cars. But, uh, you know, the Corvette Museum uh, was an interesting move. You know, it's, it's an interesting challenge for someone as a, a curator to look at it because it's, you know, telling the story of, of, you know, one model of one make. 
and really telling the history, but the Corvette is a, a car that has a very unique history that um, there are a lot of stories behind why it is what it is. It's also still a, a living automobile. Um, it's still produced right across the street from the museum. They turn out brand new Corvettes every day. And so we, we have a great living collection of cars as well. We try to maintain them all in operational condition. Yeah, we, we have a good time. I'm only four months in, but I'm having a good time telling the story of Corvette. And uh, we also have a, a flexible exhibit gallery. We call it the Exhibit Hall, um, where we do uh, exhibits sometimes about Corvettes, but sometimes we do exhibits that don't relate to Corvette and, and have a different story of transportation history or something like that. Um, so I, I've kind of been playing with the restoration end of things since I was a kid you know, the actual history aspect of it and, and doing the curator thing for, gee, about six or seven years now. Like Will, uh, John said, um, you know, did the apprenticeship in, in conservation, so I have a, a strong background in, in conservation. Uh, as for, you know, my private collection of vehicles, and I guess you'd say mine and my dad's private collection, I personally here have a, a 1961 Ford Falcon, a 1923 Peerless uh, V8, uh, automobile and a 1917 Overland uh, Model 90 Roadster that I'm uh, in the middle of restoring. And then uh, between my dad and I, we also have a 1928 Marmon we talked about before, I think. Uh, we have a 1929 Roosevelt by Marmon. We've got the 37 Ford that was mentioned. Oh, gosh. Uh, 65 Mustang convertible, 66 Chevelle Malibu convertible, uh, 67 uh, Chevy pickup that was actually handed down from my grandfather. And, uh, Actually, I should mention my, my first car as a, as a kid, you know, in high school um, that I restored was a, a 1974 Pontiac GTO. The, the GTO no one loves because it was based on the Nova instead of the Le Mans. But that's, that's kind of my background and, and what the heck I do in this uh, industry, in this field. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe Will wants to jump in and tell us a little bit about himself. Oh, uh, sure. Well, I grew up. In uh, in a car family, uh, my dad uh, worked at uh, the local utility company, Alabama Power. You know, he drag raced cars back when he was a teenager, so you know it was in his blood, and, and naturally it, it got in my blood pretty quick. So we we toured the country in a '56 Chevrolet, uh, showing it. You know, mainly on the East Coast, but uh, we would we would venture out west some, and we we included car shows was our family vacation so the only time i got to go to disney world was there was a car show in orlando so that's just how our family went you know naturally when i turned you know 13 14 years old i was out in the shop all the time with my dad uh, we built a, um, a 46 chevrolet together street rod drove it all over the country and when i turned 15 16 we got into drag racing so we sold the street rods and got into drag racing and so i was i was driving a uh, a six second drag car when i was 17 years old that was that was pretty neat you know my dad never did have to worry about where i was at i i was always out in the shop working on the car or you know getting the car ready to go to the racetrack or if he had to work late i'd i'd go to the racetrack with 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 his friends and just always always been around cars so when i graduated high school 
my first job was with uh, Alan Johnson at Johnson's Hot Rod Shop. I was 18 years old, went in there, and, you know, we, my father and I didn't do a lot of, you know, heavy metal fabrication, mainly just kind of, you know, buying parts and making making them look cool and putting them on a car and, you know, painting bodywork and stuff like that. So when I, when I went into Allen's, I had a, uh, a real eye-opener of, of detail and design, the level that you have to take these cars to get recognition and that's really what kind of drove me to to where i'm at where i'm at today and before i went to work for allen i uh, was actually watching my classic car with dennis gage here came uh mcpherson college well i was going to work for allen and i was going to go to the university of auburn and become an ag teacher like a high school ag teacher, shop teacher. And when I saw that, I'm like, no, no, that's what I want to do right there. I want to build hot rods and and cars. So visited and got accepted, and that's where I went, uh, where I met John. And that was uh, two years of my life that uh, really, really figured out that that's what I wanted to do. So after, uh, after college, had uh, actually had three jobs lined up that I could have taken and wound up going to work for uh, a guy named Jesse Greening at Greening Auto Company. Worked with him for a year and a half, built some fairly high-end cars. He had just built a car that won the Riddler, and then we built um, a 41 Willis that was a four-door that we converted into a two-door sedan, a lot of heavy metal work, and, and that's where my passion for metalwork really kind of took off and learning how to shape sheet metal and, you know, get really creative. And, and Jesse has a, a head full of ideas and just picked up a lot of stuff from him. And I was driving an hour and a half one way that was kind of taking a toll on me and I had uh, met uh, my future wife and we were spending a lot of time together. So I took a job uh, a lot closer to home a guy named Neil Lee, who, uh, Rods and Restos was the name of his shop. Uh, worked for Neil for six years. Uh, built some really, really high-end, nice cars. Uh, met a lot of people that, um, you know, helped me helped me get where I am today. And I really, you know, I really owe where I'm at today to Al and Jesse and, and Neil just for giving me the chance and, and teaching me what, what they had already learned. So I worked with Neil for six years, and finally one day I come home and I looked at my dad, and I'm like, "It's it's it's time to it's time to start a shop," because that was the ultimate goal was to uh, you know work for you know high end shops and, and and learn the the trade from top to bottom, and then venture out on my own and and see if we could uh, make a run at it. So that's what we did, and. Started in my dad's little 30 by 40 where uh, we built several cars, just me and him. And within about six months, we were out of room and already had two employees. So uh, that little building didn't last very long. So now now we have a 6,800 square foot shop called Big Oak Garage and been open for, this is actually our 10th year. So we've been open 10 years and have been fortunate enough to have some really, really good customers have built cars for professional baseball players to, uh, just guys that live literally five minutes down the road 
have won several major awards at, you know, Good Guys events. Uh, had a grade eight in Detroit. Top five Barrett Jackson Cup. Just, you know, very, very fortunate with the uh, the customers that we've had in, in the short amount of time that we've been in business. That's uh, that's where I'm at. That's, that's, uh, that's about it. Well, that was about 30 minutes of resumes from all of us. We've all been around the block a little bit. We've all had times we've paid our dues. We've all had, I think every one of us has had somebody come up to us and say, man, I'd love to do what you want to do. For years, I denied that. Finally, in the last couple of years, I've begun to accept the fact that really, since I decided to get into cars, I haven't worked a day in my life because it's fun. And I do for a living what a lot of people retire to do. I think Will and Derek probably agree with me on that. Based Other than Sand and Bondo, you're you're pretty well on the money. <laughs> Derek had the body experience and the the body life. I fortunately have stayed more on the mechanical end when I've when I've managed to to play with them. So I've stayed out of that that Bondo. I don't have that bad memory. I, I try to focus on more of the mechanical nowadays. Uh, still do a little bit of the body, but yeah, the Sanding and all that, I'd rather have grease on my hands. Oh, yeah. yeah you live in a world of fiberglass now, so... It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, even better reason to not be the guy sanding. <laughs> so, so after telling you a little bit about ourselves, uh, I put up a Facebook post two months, two and a half months ago, and said, hey, guys, a couple hundred friends I have on Facebook, I finally decided after 18 months I'm going to do a podcast. Uh, a lot of po- podcast talks in, in my circle of friends, and I posted, I want to do an automotive podcast. Any of you interested? I'll be honest, I had a lot of response. Uh, a lot of my friends are car guys. A lot of my friends are extremely knowledgeable car guys. And it was a little bit hard to choose who I wanted. I, I had a couple people on the list that, oh, it'd be great if I got this person or if I got this person. And be honest, Will and Derek were kind of at the top of the list, not to offend the people that are farther down. I talked to Will. I talked to Derek. Uh, they never actually met each other. I just kind of told Will, this is who the third is. And I told Derek, this is who the third is. Because I wanted a podcast where we could discuss cars. We want to sit around, and Will said it best to me. And I'm going to steal probably part of his talk and say, just three guys talking around bench racing. We're not going to talk about how to fix your car. If you have a car problem, please send that email to somebody else. We're here to have fun. We're here to tell you about our days, tell you our thoughts on the collector car industry, the preservation aspects, the restoration aspects, the hot rod industry, where we come from. And we think we've provided three extremely likable personalities with extremely different backgrounds and uh, hopefully that's come out in some of the earlier shows and you know talking about electric street or electric hot rods talking about 19-teens electric cars and in, in that episode we have the episode about pickup trucks and each of us have different thinking on pickup trucks and how they've developed and that will probably carry into a second episode. We talked over an hour about that and didn't even scratch the surface. We also want everybody out there listening. I said, don't ask us how to fix your car, but ask us questions. If you ha- if you need some advice on how to de-rust something or what the procedure would be 
or even a topic of conversation, what questions do you have from us? Uh, we want to be able to provide you those answers. That's my goal with the podcast. The other half of the podcast is to help the young people out there and their parents understand that this is a real job. This is a fun job. You can you can do what you want to do with your life and make a pretty good living at it. You know, I'm never going to have a million-dollar house. I'm never going to have a McLaren P1 in my driveway unless a friend brings it over. And fortunately, my, my job has provided me the opportunities that that could happen. I'm happy. I can pay my bills most most every month. I want to let the young people out there know that they can do it, that all you've got to do is ask. Some of my best experiences have been with the museum, working with a little kid named Zeke a couple of years ago and introducing him to Brian Fuller. And Zeke was all taken by Brian Fuller. And I said, well, go sit in on Brian's TIG welding class. And it was like a one-hour seminar we were doing at the museum during one of our major events. And at the time, I was in charge of these educational seminars. And he, he was a little intimidated, but I talked his dad into dragging him into that. And by, oh, probably 4 o'clock that afternoon, Zeke had attended that seminar and then afterwards started talking to Brian, and him and Brian had become really good friends, and Brian's helped Zeke build a motorcycle. And this is a kid that was intimidated by the celebrity and stardom. Brian's an interesting fellow. I think most of us are have seen Brian Fuller on his various TV shows and been exposed to him at some point in our car lives, if you're a car person. And that that's one of the most rewarding aspects of my job. The other end of the extreme is one of my more recent restorations a few years ago. If you uh, Google Lotus Mark 10 auto blog, uh, you'll see an article about a blue Lotus Mark 10 that we restored. And I was able to track down the gentleman that imported that car in 1959 and used him and his memories to help restore that car. And then when we were done with that car, we brought him to Birmingham from his home in Maryland, and he was reunited with his car for the first time in 50 years, the emotion and the passion. And that's what the hobbies brought to me, and that's what I hope to convey a little bit with this podcast. And that's what this little third middle segment of this podcast is going to be about is now we'll let uh, Will and Derek discuss kind of what their goals are and ambitions because again all three of us are going to have different ambitions with this podcast and that, that's all right we're three different people we seem to be getting along we seem to make you laugh and we just we just want to have a good time so why don't we lead off with Will this time oh uh, sure um well you know um I just like running my mouth, honestly. <laughs> yes, we we know. Uh, That's very I spent clear. a couple of years in Kansas. <laughs> so, so whenever me and John got to talking, I'm like, heck yeah, man, I can just talk more about cars. Uh, you know, I'm all about it. Um, no, really. Um, you know, John touched on it a little bit, and most car people, their whole family's involved in cars, you know, and... Derek's like me. The reason that I'm do I do what I do right now is because of my dad. You know, if it wasn't for my dad, I, I don't know if I'd be a car guy or not. So it's 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 okay to work on cars, like you said, John. You know, um, and one of the things my dad told me is like, oh, you can't make a living working on cars. And you know, the reason he told me that was 
he didn't want me working on cars thinking that that's what he wanted me to do. Now, you know, now he, he, he kind of looks back at that and he was like, well, you know, I'm glad that you didn't listen to me, you know. You know, there are real jobs out there, like John said, and, and, and getting getting kids involved is is huge for especially the hot rod industry and, and the restoration industry. There, there's more kids involved in building hot rods than I'm sure than, than restoring cars, but, you know, it, it doesn't matter what kind of car you're into. If you're, if you're a young kid and you like anything that, that rolls down the road, man, I, I, I think that's awesome. And, uh, any way we can support that, uh, I'm all for it. It don't matter what it is. Yeah. I'm, I'm a, I'm a V8 straight shift kind of guy in a, in an old hot rod. But if it's a, if it's a Honda or if it's a trophy truck, you know, it doesn't matter. And just spread the word on, on, on the, the automotive industry and, and, and keep it, keep it rolling you know so that's that's kind of kind of my goals get get more kids involved in 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 the whole industry as far as automotive goes yeah and i mean uh, you know i'm i'm kind of in the same same path as as will and john uh you know will you were really nice you didn't you didn't say we're just here to make john look good that's that's what we were told earlier Uh, (laughs) that's right (laughs) Uh, and you know we all get along, but that's because we all uh, we all do broadcast from our own locations. Uh, we don't sit in the same room together. <laughs> that's right. Might be might be some punches thrown, huh? <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, you know, the the thing I I love about the job I do, and I think the cool thing about the opportunity that uh, you know doing this with John and Will, this podcast offers. You know, I had the good fortune, like Will said, you know, without somebody in the family, you know, pretty much all three of our dads played played a part in our current careers. You know, without someone who was into cars, I wouldn't have had the chance as a kid to learn about cars, to work on cars, to ride in cars, to drive in cars, you know, drive cars eventually, at least old cars. I mean, everybody gets a chance to drive new cars, but really to get into the early stuff and, and learn it. And I, one of the greatest satisfactions I get at work is, um, no matter where I've worked, is having a little kid's eyes light up and, you know, see that moment when they realize that cars are cool and they want to play with cars. Uh, when I was at Henry Ford Museum, I was working under the hood of the Bugatti Royale, and uh, I heard somebody behind me say, hey, look, you know, he gets to work on the cars and, and see, he wears gloves to be, you know, safe and, and make sure he doesn't damage the car. You know, I, I was confused by it. I turned around and there was about, I think, I think he was like a seven or eight year old young little boy. And uh, his mom was there and just just thought it was the coolest thing. So I started talking to him and, and come to find out his mom, he had a, a deep love for automobiles. And his mom would, during the summers when he was out of school, they specifically planned their vacations to go see certain automobiles. And it just so happened that summer's vacation was to go to Dearborn, to the Henry Ford Museum, to see the Bugatti Royale, one of his all-time favorite cars. And he just happened to be there on a day when we were actually working on it. And, I mean, his eyes just... I just remember the moment when his eyes got, you know, two times the size they normally were. 
you know, that, that was awesome because you see the moment that a kid that's passionate about cars that has a parent, be it the mom or the dad, um, encouraging that passion and, and taking them places to, you know, encourage what they're doing. And, you know, I made sure that, you know, we got him to uh, have a tour of the Model T garage. We got him, I mean, I really did everything I could for that kid, you know, to, to foster that passion that he had. You know, I, th- I think that's the same thing here. Um, you know, be it if a kid's listening with their parents or if somebody out there that's 20, 30, 40, 50 years old and they've always wanted to, you know, work on cars or play with cars and they never had that uh, encouragement, that's what we're here for. You know, we're here to prove that, like Will and John have said, it's not a bad thing to work on cars. It's it's not, it's it's just not. It's It's fun. It's a passion. It's a love, and, you know, we're here to, to foster that in people, and I think, you know, uh, foster it more and more in each other, because even those of us that are in the car world and the car hobby, um, you know, we only get more and more excited when we can talk to each other about projects or about uh, the history of automobiles, and, and it encourages us to keep going. So I really think that's that's really why I was so excited when John put the, the post out that said he was doing it and he was looking for people. And I said, you know what, this, this is going to be a cool opportunity. That's my story. Are you sticking to it? I'm going to stick to it, yeah. <laughs> and we've chatted with you for 40, 45 minutes now about who we are, why we do it, and we've had a pretty aggressive, as I said in the beginning, release. We wanted to get out there, get some podcasts out. Release schedule got accelerated because of some outside factors, which were good and beneficial to the podcast. We're really happy with the numbers, and we thank everybody for the support. But this will be the last, this will be the first podcast that fits with our normal release schedule. We plan on releasing podcasts on Monday, probably sometime overnight between Sunday and Monday. We plan on recording on Wednesday. It gives me a few days to get the editing and hopefully gather any pictures or show notes that we need to post. Now we're working on improving the website a little bit, but our website's at nodrivinggloves.com. When we've talked about cars or trucks or vehicles in the past, I've tried to put up posts on our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter pages, all some sort of no driving gloves. And so check there if you wanted to see pictures of the barn finds we talked about, if you wanted to see pictures of the pickup trucks, if you wanted to see pictures, you know, if I found an electric car on a another unrelated maker trip that I was on and I thought that was appropriate for our electric car episode. But be sure to check out our Instagram and Twitter and Facebook pages. Still picking up the tw- the Twitter, but uh, now I sound like a movie. The Facebook, the Twitter. But, <laughs> but you'll find pictures there. You'll find show notes. I'll try to put a link to that autoblog article I mentioned earlier. But look for our episodes pretty much on Monday. We also... Will knows a lot of people in the industry. Derek knows a lot of people in the industry. I know a lot of people in the industry. Like I said, I've got a lot of friends that wanted to be involved in in this podcast, and a couple of them couldn't commit to doing it weekly. And I've got a lot to say. I want to do it weekly. So they said, well, I'll guest. I'll, I'll fit in. So at times, we'll bring in a fourth, and we'll interview them. Or we might have some special releases on a Thursday or Friday, especially if we can build up some of these interviews where it might just be one of us 
interviewing an industry personality. I know we've, we're working on lining some up with some what I would call pretty big names, or you might not know the names, but you'll know what they're involved with and their expertise. So we hope to be able to use some of that networking that we've done over the years. Again, the car hobby is a lot of networking and a lot of knowing people. Uh, we hope to bring all of that to you. We hope to keep the episodes in the 45 to 60 minute range so as not to b- bore you too much every week, but provide you some good humorous insight on the collector car hobby. Is there anything else, guys, that we want to want to bring up this week or do you have more to add to what I just talked about? Well, I, you know, just as, as John's already said, and, and to quote, you know, keep his uh, line of thought going, you know, you can find us on the Internet. <laughs> the Internet. Yeah, that's that's kind of our plan and, and why the heck we're doing this, and, you know, hopefully everybody's going to enjoy it. Well, as you said to me in episode one, which if you've noticed, we don't number our episodes. We're trying to keep the content evergreen so you won't have to listen in order. Uh, you could look up the dates, and if you get into the um, ID3 tags, they're actually numbered there, but the titles don't have numbering because you should be able to go in and listen to whatever episode whenever you want unless we kind of end up with two-parters, which it already looks like we're probably going to have some two-parters. That'll wrap it up for today, and we'll be chatting with you guys in another week about another classic car topic. Help fund this podcast. You know, we're doing it for fun. We're doing it. If you enjoy it, throw a couple of bucks our way. We'll check us out on Patreon. We've got different reward levels there. Some of those would be personal consultations that kind of go along more with our labor rates. They're kind of aggressive goals, but there's also entry level, and you can get one of the first edition No Driving Gloves uh, stickers or T-shirts, depending where you go. Just wanted to mention that get that out there of course we're on itunes google play uh said youtube i think i've got we've set up on soundcloud so we should be out there for you to listen to anywhere i think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this evening and we'll talk to you later if you have questions or comments email us at nodrivinggloves at gmail.com be sure to subscribe to no driving gloves using your favorite podcast catcher follow no driving gloves one word on facebook or instagram And most of all, please check out our page on Patreon where you can help keep our tires rolling.